All right. We are in our second week of a sermon series called Party People. Party People. And I want to I wanna start by asking you a question this morning. Uh, and, and I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but turn to the person sitting next to you and just very briefly tell them what Christianity means to you. So what does Christianity mean to you? Go. All right, all right, no need to write a book, all right? Okay, we got, I still got to get a sermon in here today, all right? So just cool it down a little bit. I want to tell you what the gentleman H.L. Mencken described Christianity in, in the late 1800s. He lived in a time when Puritan Christianity ruled the day, and here's what H.L. Mencken had to say. He said, Christianity is the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, is having a good time. I'm really confounded by that statement. On one hand, I think it's hilarious. And as somebody who makes sentences for a living, I appreciate the craft. On the other hand, we're laughing because on some level, we know it strikes a little closer to home than we'd prefer. We know that people we know would identify Christianity in this way. That's not what Christianity is at all. More than anybody else in the world, more than any person, people, group, organization, religion, more than anyone else, we have a reason to be joyful. That's not what Christianity is. Let me tell you what Christianity is. Christianity is a group of broken people who have been made new by God. Christianity is a group of people whose past no longer defines their future. Christianity is ultimately this, a group of dead people who were given new life by God. Christianity is a group of dead people who were given new life by God. And for that reason, church, we are party people because we have life that we don't deserve. We have life that comes directly from God. So as we get started, I want to I spend just a few moments talking about this sentence here. The Bible tells us that when we sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so I want to emphasize that phrase. We are dead in our sins. It's not that we're better at doing bad than we are at doing good. It's that we are dead in our sins. It's not that we're incapable of doing right. It's, it's that we are incapable of doing right. It's, it's not possible for us to do anything to change our status. It doesn't matter how nice we are doesn't matter how many cookies we bake for the PTA. It doesn't matter how many meals we deliver with Meals on Wheels. It doesn't matter how much we give to local nonprofits. We are dead. And none of those things will bring us back to life. In fact, our only hope for real life and for eternal life is for God to give it to us. Our only hope for real life, our only hope for eternal life is for God to give us life. And maybe I'll just ask the question that's on your mind today. 
How do we know God can give us life? How do we know that God is capable of bringing us back to life? How do we know if God can bring people back from the dead? What was it that the angel said when the women approached the tomb that morning? It says something like, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He isn't here. He's risen. God can bring people back from the dead because God came back from the dead. That's how we know he can bring people back to life. So that's what we celebrate. That's the gift. We celebrate the fact that God can give us new life and that God has given us new life through Jesus. And for that reason, church, we are a party people. We have a better reason than anybody else in the world to celebrate, and his name is Jesus. That's what we celebrate. And so in doing that, that's kind of a summary of this Passover feast, this Passover celebration. The fact that God has done an extraordinary work in people's lives. He did it for the Israelites in bringing them out of Egypt, and he's done it for us in bringing us out of sin. The Israelites couldn't get, a, they couldn't get out of Egypt on their own. We can't get out of sin on our own. Now let's talk about the feast that comes immediately after the Passover. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It comes immediately after. In Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 17, here's what we read. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. These regulations apply both to the foreigners living among you and the native-born Israelites. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast." That's a small passage of scripture, uh, but there's a lot for us to cover. So let's begin with a big picture, and we'll begin to narrow that down to an application. So the Passover, we talked about the Passover last week. The Passover was about getting the people out of Egypt. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was about getting Egypt out of the people. See the difference there? God had to physically get the people out of Egypt before he could begin the work of getting Egypt out of the people. The Passover was an event. What happened after was a new life. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a reminder that new life was to be free from the influence of Egypt. So the Passover is an example of the work that God has done to rescue us from the control of sin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a reminder that our new lives require care and attention to remain free from the control of sin. Now, that that may seem like a neat theological fact or tidbit, uh, something that you might use to impress your friends at a party. Okay, maybe not at a party. All right, if that's the kind of thing you're using to impress people at a party, you need to go to different parties, okay? But maybe that's the kind of theological tidbit that you would use to, uh, to, to describe in Sunday school, 
right? It's just a neat little factoid. Can I tell you it's so much more than that? Understanding the Passover feast and understanding the feast of unleavened bread is more than just a neat fact. It gives us insight into how God calls us to live. So first of all, uh, we'll talk about leaven. Leaven is almost always used as a symbol of sin. Almost always used as a symbol of sin. Uh, We talked about it last week. Leaven makes us bitter. It makes us sour. It puffs us up so that we have more volume but no more substance, right? So we have uh, bread in this bowl. And what happens as the leaven begins to work on the dough? The dough rises. We didn't add anything else to the bowl, did we? So there's no more substance There's nothing more, there's nothing added to us that would make us better, but somehow we are getting puffed up and inflated and thinking that we are bigger than we are. That's why leaven is always used as a symbol of sin in the Bible. And I need you to remember something. The Feast of Unleavened Bread comes after the Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread comes after the Passover. Why is that? Because we need the sacrifice of the Passover lamb before getting the leaven out of our lives is even possible. So we have to have the sacrifice of the Passover lamb before it's even possible to work at getting the sin out of our lives. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us is necessary before we can even talk about getting sin out of our lives. Here's why this is important. Uh, Christians make a mistake a lot of times, and we'll go to somebody who uh, is not following God, has no desire to follow God with their lives, and we'll walk up to them and we'll say, well, you're not, you're not living according to the Bible. And they'll look back at us and they'll say, I'm not trying to. You see the difference there? We're trying to hold a non-Christian to a Christian standard, and what we've got to do is introduce them to the Passover lamb before we can say, get the leaven out. Passover comes before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Taking the leaven out of the bread, it wasn't about having a different kind of bread. It was about getting Egypt out of the people. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think the leaven came from that the Israelites used to make their bread? Where do you think that leaven came from? I'm looking for a country. Starts with E. Okay, very good. Yeah, Egypt. You have the leavening agent that they used came from Egypt. So the people were to cleanse their lives of everything that came from Egypt. And so the unwritten idea is, hey, while you are getting rid of the leaven that comes from Egypt, why don't you get rid of the pagan religious practices that come from Egypt? You're worshiping this frog god named Hoppy. I'm not making that up. His name really is Hoppy, right? Why don't you stop doing that and worship the one true God? You have given tithes to Ra. Why don't you stop doing that and worship God? You're so deferential and reverent to Pharaoh and you worship him. Why don't you stop doing that and worship God? It wasn't about having a different kind of bread. It was about getting Egypt out of the people. And removing leaven was a description of how serious this act was. 
Taking the leaven out of the bread was about getting the people out of Egypt. The people were to cleanse their lives of everything that came from Egypt. So they ate unleavened bread for 30 days as they began their journey into the wilderness. Then what was it replaced with? It was replaced, from, it was replaced with manna that came directly from God. So the 30 days... 30 days of no leaven from Egypt. That's important. Eli Roshan says, the significance of eating unleavened bread for 30 days was this. The Israelites were not taking any of the contaminating influence of Egypt with them as they left. And that was serious. God says, during those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. There must be no trace of of yeast in your homes. It doesn't say there must be no clump of yeast in your homes. It doesn't say there must be no jar of leavening agent in your homes. There must be no trace in your homes. And so here's what they would do. The Israelites, they would go through their house and they would do a careful inventory. The first thing is obvious. They would take their jars of leavening agent and they would remove them from the home. And then if they used the sourdough method, they would take that clump of dough and they would remove it from their home. And then they would get down at eye level on the table and they say, is there even a trace? Is there even a speck left in our home? We have to remove it. And they'd use a wet rag to make sure all of it was gone. Not just brushed off onto the floor, but picked up so it could be shaken off outside. And then they would look in the corners and see if there was any there. They made sure there wasn't a trace. They would get down at eye level to see if there's anything else. And we don't do that today. We don't go through our homes looking for leaven, unless you're keto, in which case I'll eat your donut, right? But instead of, instead of looking so carefully for a trace amount of leavening agent for just a small piece of yeast. We don't do that anymore. Instead, our participation in the Lord's Supper is an invitation for us to examine our lives closely. It's an invitation for us to get down on eye level with our lives and say, what needs to go? As we come before the Lord's table and participate in the bread and the cup, it's our opportunity to say, is there anything that needs to be gone from my life? And take that inventory. We're making sure that we're not taking any of the contaminating influence of sin with us. We're making sure. Now maybe you're going, okay, 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 I've got that. That seems like it's a good idea. It's important. And the people did that for a festival season, but then the rest of their lives went back to normal. How long am I supposed to do this? How long am I supposed to get down on eye level and make sure that, that, I'm, not, that I'm not being contaminated by this idea of sin or I'm working to remove unrighteousness from my life? How long is this supposed to go on? Jesus said it this way, as often as you gather together do this in remembrance of me. See, the Passover was an event. The Passover was an event. It happened one time. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a new way of life that happened after the event. Let me put it this way. Uh, let's, say, let's say I were to go to the doctor for my annual checkup, and I go to the doctor, 
My doctor's name is Jakaki. So Dr. Jakaki comes in and he's frantic and he says, Tony, we just got some of your blood results back and, and I think there's something seriously wrong. Things aren't looking right. I need to get you in for an EKG right away. And as I get in there for the EKG, he discovers that there are some major blockages in my heart and instead of waiting to schedule surgery, they start wheeling me in right now. Turns out I had a major blockage in my heart and the doctor saves my life. This isn't a true story. I don't want to confuse you, by the way. This is an example. Uh, and so what he does, he saves my life that day. How do I respond? Obviously, I say thank you, right? Obviously, I am incredibly grateful, but that's not enough. It's not enough to be incredibly grateful. What I need to do is listen to what he tells me because my life needs to change. He's going to say afterwards, Tony, we need to talk about lifestyle changes. You need to change the way that you eat. You need to change the way that you drink coffee. You need to change the way that you exercise. You need to change the way that you process stress. All of these things about your life need to change. Now, let me pose you the question that we asked a second ago. How long does that process need to last? How long do I need to evaluate these lifestyle changes? For as long as I want to be alive for as long as I want to be alive. That's how long. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a reminder that our new lives require attention to remain free from the control of sin. It requires attention to remain free from the control of sin. Now that's part of it. That's part of it, but, but there is more than that. I need you to understand that because while the people were to take care to remove the leaven from their lives, they were also supposed to celebrate. They were celebrating something. Let's go back to verse 17. This is what God commands. He says, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. The festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate... This day, from generation to generation, in case you missed it, God's commanding us to celebrate here. Let me, let me take you to another text that, that will hopefully illustrate this to you. This is Leviticus 23. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin what? Celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days, and during that time, the bread you eat must not be made with any yeast. Do you, get the, do you get the feeling that God's commanding the people to celebrate? Seems like that's something that he wants them to understand, that this feast of unleavened bread is a celebration. What are they celebrating? They were celebrating the work that God had done in their lives and the work that God was going to continue to do in their lives. God had brought them out of Egypt, and God was going to lead them to the promised land. God had brought them out of Egypt and he was going to lead them into the promised land. We have a tendency in churches, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, our, our, our attention uh, tends to focus on baptism. We celebrate that really well because it's the beginning of a new life. And certainly, we're always going to celebrate that. Luke 15 tells us that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. We will always celebrate when somebody gets baptized. That's why we give them a standing ovation. Always celebrate new life, but we also have to celebrate the growth that happens in people's new lives. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, I, I don't know what your baptism experience was like, but for me, I, uh, I still struggled with things 
after I was baptized. So before I was baptized, I, I struggled with my temper. Guess what I still struggled with after I was baptized? I get up out of the water and I'm like, get your hands off me and why am I soaking wet? That was a bad joke. <laughs> I told you it was a joke and some of you still didn't laugh. There we go, that's better. I still struggled with my temper after I was baptized. Before I was baptized, I struggled with insecurity. Guess what I still struggle with after? Before I was baptized, I struggled with being judgmental, and God forgive me, sometimes I still struggle today. Before, I struggled with pride. I still struggle with pride sometimes. And all of these things that I struggled with before I committed to God, I still struggle with now, but here's the difference. I'm not struggling alone. I'm not struggling alone. I am no longer a slave to doubt and insecurity and pride. I am free, and I have Holy Spirit to lead me. Hear that word. Lead me closer to God. To lead me closer to God. The Israelites were celebrating that God brought them out of the out of Egypt and was leading them to a promised land. We celebrate that God has brought us out of sin and is leading us closer to him. I still struggle, but I can see the progress that God is making in my life. And next year, when I look back on today, I'll say this is what God has done in my life over the past year. And five years from now, when I look back on today, I'll say this is what God has done in my life. And I can't believe that's where I was in my faith then. And I will celebrate the work that God is continuing to do in my life. And so the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a celebration of the work that God continues to do in our lives. It's a celebration of the work that God continues to do in our lives. When we're baptized, it's not the end of our story. It's the beginning of our new story. And the whole new story is a celebration of God. That's why we're party people. Because we celebrate the work that God does in our lives. Here's my proof. How long did God say that the Israelites were to celebrate? How long were the people supposed to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread? This feast will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. You know why that's such good news? Because there's always going to be something to celebrate. A permanent law. It means every year. There's going to be something to celebrate because every year, no, every day, God is going to be doing work in our lives and he's going to be transforming us more and more into his image and his likeness. And so we will never run out of things to celebrate as long as we serve God. From generation to generation, from year to year, this is where we were and this is what God has done. That's what we're celebrating. And that's what we will always have to celebrate. Here's the deal. It, it's much easier. It's much easier to celebrate baptism because it's an event. Right? It was very easy for the people to celebrate the Passover because it was an event and God showed up in a big, big way at that moment. And it was easy to put those words into a song and to celebrate God for what he had done. It's much harder to celebrate the subtle things that God does in our lives over the course of a month. 
It's much harder to celebrate the subtle things that God does in our lives over the course of a year until we look back and say, this is how good God has been. It's much harder to celebrate life change because it happens subtly. It's not an excuse for not celebrating, though. It's not an excuse for not celebrating. For that reason, I've asked a a few of my friends a simple question this past week. I said, what's God been doing in your life recently? And I want to share some of the things that they've answered. So first of all, I asked my friend Katie Levering. I said, what's God been doing in your life recently? Here's what she said. She said, before I started attending church, I didn't know where I was in life. I didn't know what I wanted or what I needed. I knew of the word of God, but I didn't know exactly what it meant. I knew God had sent Jesus for us. That was about it. I lost my grandma and it was a big downfall. It was my biggest downfall. I never thought I'd get over it. I didn't want to be without her. I got so lost and I didn't know where I wanted to be anymore. I knew, I, I knew that I wanted to learn more. So I started attending church, not for my family, not to make myself feel better, but because I needed to know for myself and understand what God had done for us. I didn't understand my faith. I didn't understand my purpose. And I started to question my life in a serious way. I asked myself why. I had my spouse, my daughter, my family, but I knew that something was missing. The more I learned, the more I wanted, and the more I needed. I even got to the point where I'd go home, and I love this part, and I'd read my Bible on my own. I'd never done that before. I started to learn more and more, and that's when I got baptized. It was awesome. I knew my purpose. I knew I had one. I never felt so good. God had sent his son to die for us. What more could I do than live for him and spread the word and hope that I had found? I look forward to going to church. I look forward to showing people that there is a life beyond greater than ours. I'm nowhere close to perfect, and I still make mistakes But if I hadn't pushed myself to learn about God, I wouldn't be anywhere close to the person I am today. And I look forward to what God will continue to do with my life. That's pretty neat, isn't it? No matter where you are, no matter where you're at in your faith, if you're at the very beginning, or you're more mature in your faith, no matter what God has worked to do in your life, and when we look back, and see what he's done? I think my friend Katie would tell you that it's cause for celebration. What's God been doing in your life recently? I asked my friend Anna Godfrey the same question. Here's what she said. She said, when Luke moved here, he definitely got me more involved in the youth group and encouraged me to grow in my faith. When I decided to go on my first mission trip to North Carolina, I had no idea how much of an impact that was going to have on my faith. While I believe that you can serve God's people anywhere, even right here at home, spending a whole week dedicated to loving God's people and serving them brought me so much closer to my Father. There's nothing like being the hands and feet of Jesus. Growing up, I always knew that God loved me. However, it wasn't until the past year that I realized how much he really loves me. It's in those moments when you've really messed up or you've, or you've really lost faith and all you can do is turn to God even though it's been days or weeks since you've really talked to him. The thing that blows me away is he's always willing to have us back. He knew the pain and suffering his son Jesus would endure in death, yet he's always eager for us to turn back to him. I read a quote the other day that got me thinking. Jesus knew 
but Judas still ate. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him in the coming days, yet Jesus still welcomed him at the Passover table. That is unfathomable love. As I prepare to start a new chapter in my life at college, I want to love God and love his people. I want to know I want people to know that they have a father that loves them more than they can possibly imagine and he desperately wants a relationship with them. I love that students like Anna are growing in their appreciation of God's love for them. I love that students who graduate from here aren't just grounded in faith, they are rooted in their faith. And I love that Anna isn't just going off to college. She is being unleashed to show the love of God to the people of West Lafayette. So what's God been doing in your life recently? I asked my friend Charlie Elgin. Here's what he had to say. He said, many times I try to do things my way, tell God what he should be doing for me right now. Then I get down in the mouth about everything, the things that are going wrong, and I get discouraged because I'm trying to tell God how to do it my way. I read Hebrews 12, verse 14. Here's what it says. Work at living in peace with everyone. At work at living holy in your life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. He said, this passage literally flattened out my toes and got me walking along his path, seeking his will and doing things his way, not mine. I don't know. Maybe some of you are here today and you've been trying to get God to do your thing. Maybe you've been trying to get God to do your thing, your way, and you need the reminder that Charlie brings us. That God isn't here to do what we want He's here to enable us to do what he needs done. So thank you, Charlie, for your willingness to share that, my friend. I've got one more for you. This is from my good friend, Brandon Bambush, and here's what he had to say. He said, over the past few years, God has given me an incredible man of God to hold me accountable in Chris Wessner. Every day he helps me in my walk and shows me what it looks like to love God wherever you go and in whatever you do. It's not been perfect, About a year ago, I gave in to sin and temptation, and I tried to correct my life my own way without relying on the Lord. Because of that, my joy, my peace, my contentment, they were all robbed from me. I've owned my sin. I've accepted the consequences of it. But most importantly, I've begun to trust God again. It's amazing to me that I experienced God's discipline in my life. It has reminded me of how much he loves me. God's been so good to me this last year. And as I look back, I'm humbled. So what do we celebrate? Why are we party people? We celebrate the work that God is doing in our lives. Would you join me in giving a standing ovation to these friends for the work that God's doing? Go ahead, stand up, man. Go ahead and stay standing. We're going we're gonna to sing here in a second. So just go ahead and stay standing. While you're standing, I want, you to, I want you to take a moment. You don't have to 
You don't have to do anything, but just thank God for the work that he's done in your life recently. Spend some time this afternoon thinking about that. What, what work has God been doing in my life over the past few years, over the past year, over the past few months? What has God been doing in my life? And when you get something, thank him for it. That's how we stay party people. Here's the essence of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If your hope is in Jesus, then sin has the same power in your life that death had in Jesus' life. Death didn't really work out for Jesus, did it? Sin has that same power in your life. Never forget that. For this reason, church, we are party people. For this reason, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, things present or things to come, nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all of creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's remember that. The feast of unleavened bread. The work that God is doing in our lives. But never forget, this feast comes after the Passover. Some of you are here today and you still need to leave Egypt. Can I tell you the only way out is through the water? The Bible backs me up on that one. That's where God takes our old life of sin and drowns it. And he gives us new life in Christ proven by the fact that he himself resurrected. And here's what I need you to know. You can't begin to celebrate the work that God is doing in your life until you let him in to your life. And we want that for everybody here. We want you to have new life in Christ free from the bondage of sin. So if you need to make the decision to be baptized today, I want to invite you to come forward and do it. Do it today. And I guarantee you that everybody else in this room will rejoice with you. Why? Because we are the party people of God.